0: This might come as a somewhat surprise to your mind, but one of the marks of God's grace in our lives is that trials will come across our paths. The presence of trials, they are a sign that God is working in our experience, a display of God's grace. You see, when we come to Christ, the moment we put our confidence in Christ Jesus, the work of salvation is not complete. Oh, we're secure. We're absolutely secure. We will never, ever be more justified, never be more accepted. But yet there is this ongoing reality of remaining sin and the process of sanctification that continues. And so we know that the Lord, when He saves us, continues to work in His people. And He works in us, at times testing us, stretching us as to the durability of our faith. Now, a metal, a piece of metal may be strong, but how does it respond under stress and under tension? Faith, if I can change the metaphor to some degree, is tested in the furnace, tested sometimes in the furnace of trials, but also tested sometimes in the place of prayer. Trials in the place of prayer. Didn't think perhaps that the place of prayer would be a place of testing. But it often is the case in the life of the child of God that in the prayer closet we find ourselves tested as to the reality, the genuineness, and the durability of our faith. You see, the Lord continually challenges us as to the nature of our faith. Faith is so crucial, crucial in our relationship with the Lord. From our perspective, we begin the Christian walk by faith, It's by faith that we are justified But it's also noted that the Christian must live by faith. Hebrews 11, you think of all the catalogue of the heroes of the faith. They begin by faith, but they also live by faith. They just live by faith. And so if sanctification, that work of God in our lives, if sanctification is to the increasing of every spiritual grace, then that also must include increasing our faith. Christ working in us to develop and to test and to strengthen our faith. Now, this is not a thought of my imagination. We see this clearly shown in the gospel narratives. The Lord often changes or challenges sorry, the nature and the genuineness of believers. All faith is not true faith, but even those who have true faith, their faith sometimes is weak. And so, for instance, we find the Lord leading the disciples in Mark chapter 4 into a storm in order to demonstrate, to challenge, and to strengthen their faith. The Lord tells the disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side, knowing full well that to cross the lake that night would involve the disciples entering a storm. Why? What was Christ's purpose? Well, it was in part to teach the disciples lessons regarding their own faith. They've no faith, they've little faith, depending on the account. And their faith is rebuked and then strengthened as the Lord comes and ministers to them. The Lord challenging faith. You see, I can say certainly today it is the will of God that our faith is strong. And so He works His will in our lives at times challenging us, stretching us as to the reality of our faith. At times, He it causes us to ask the question, as Jesus asked the blind men here, believe ye that I am able to do this? I think there are times in our lives the Lord comes and in the place of prayer challenges us as the nature of our faith, believe ye that I am able to do this? And Sometimes the reality is that we answer that question, I'm not sure. You see, the Lord is challenging our faith. That's why I say prayer times can be a time of testing. That as we enter the place of prayer with the Lord and we engage the Lord in prayer, we find ourselves resting with that question, I'm not sure that you are able. Just as a side, these men, these blind men in Matthew chapter 9, I believe already have saving faith prior to their reception of sight. The Lord says to them, in verse number 29, as He gives them the sight that they desire, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now I know at times... Spiritual blindness is looked upon as physical blindness. But here the blind men are giving a blessing from God in connection with their faith. If you like, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing of Christ. They've come to believe the Word and believe the Lord, and he, he blesses them with sight. But spiritual sight comes prior to faith in terms of the spiritual realm. We see and then believe. We don't believe and then see, and the order is wrong. If you see this, is a careless parallel. And so these men, I do believe, have come to convictions regarding the Lord. And so as they approach the Lord in verse number 27, the two blind men follow Him. They have to some degree, however weak it may be, they have come to the conviction that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Christ of gods. And yet these men are challenged as to the strength of their faith in two ways. First of all, in the Lord's seeming unresponsiveness to their request. That's how the Lord often challenges our faith. He challenges our faith in seemingly not responding to our legitimate requests. So what's the background here? Well, it is a time in Christ's ministry, early to mid-ministry, when His fame was at its height. And Make no mistake about it, Christ's ministry of healing Provoke great response. Again, you think of, the, think of this from the perspective of a Jewish believer. 400 years. No word from the Lord. Along comes this strange man, John, the prophet. He certainly provoked some intense concern and speculation. They go out in their multitudes to be baptized with baptism. But he, of course, points to another to come, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord comes and he performs these wonderful miracles of healing. And there is a great stir in the land. Even in this very chapter, Matthew chapter 9, we read of a paralyzed man walking, the woman being healed just by touching the hem of his garment and the healing of Jairus's daughter. Just in one chapter. So you get a verse 26, it says, And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. And so as the Lord is leaving Jairus' house, these two blind men, very aware of the fame and deeds of this man, they follow him. They understand there is something of God in this ministry. And they follow the Lord, and they follow and they cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Again, for the, the young folks here, how can blind men follow? Well, likely a guide. And the point is not to wonder how they did it. The point to note is the words that they used. Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, we might expect the Lord to immediately respond to their request. Doesn't he often do that? Stop in his way? Stop where he is immediately? Think of Zacchaeus, he stops at the bottom of the tree. Other times, he stops immediately and responds to the actions of those around him. Even the woman with issue of blood stops who touched me? But though their need was great, their condition in that culture would have meant they had no occupation, no standing in society, no hope for the future. Their plight was great and very sad. Even for all of that, it seemed to be the case the Lord did not immediately respond to their request. Surely all of their need, he would jump to this request. I remind you, the title used in verse 27, my son of David, the title they use, and the request they give is essentially a request for the restoration of their sight. I'll say more of that in a minute or two, but that was their request, have mercy on us. They no way felt that they deserved this. They simply asked for mercy. Now here, mercy, I think, takes us back to we saw last Lord's Day of Mephibosheth, the Old Testament concept of the kindness of God. Show kindness toward us. Mercy. Treat us in a way that we don't deserve. But that mercy, I believe, was that they would have their sight. That's certainly implied when you get to verse number 28. The Lord does not ask them what they want. He asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And so their request is understandable. They go to the right person with the right request. And they do so with a sense of urgency and a burden. This is quite a time of prayer really, isn't it? There's no lack of sincerity. No lack of faith. Son of David, have mercy on us. I wish at times our own prayer lives and our own prayer meetings in this place were marked by a similar level of sincerity and fervency. But... If you read it in the lines between verse 27 and 28, it appears that Christ did not immediately acknowledge the request, but continues on his way into the house. The blind men follow him, verse 27. They say, Jesus or thy son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And I suspect, and that's my conviction, that the implication is they come to him another time. They come to him again. They've spoken to him outside the house and he's continued on his way and as he enters the house, they then come again and then the Lord deals with their request. It's a very striking illustration again of the Lord stretching and challenging their faith. Did they just kind of shrug their shoulders and head off home? Did they say to themselves, well, we asked but got no reply, no point in pressing it any further? Was that the response? No, not at all. We find the men going on with the Lord all the way into the house. Now there are times in our Christian experience when we cry to the Lord for a particular need or a particular concern and as we cry, it seems that we hear no answer. Uh, Note the language on your outline. A seeming unresponsiveness to our requests. I think there are times when the Lord does answer our requests, but we are not aware of the answer. But there are other times when it is as if Christ is silent to your needs. But as is often said, silence does not always mean no. It certainly did not mean no in this instance. Sometimes it might, but not Always. And the faith that Lord will have us have is a persistent faith. A persistent faith that shows itself in a persistence in approaching Him in prayer. A faith that comes and comes and comes again to our Lord that we may receive mercy. We've been looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, haven't we? In prayer meetings. Looking at the issue of a waiting church. A church is waiting for Christ's return. And one of the exhortations to the waiting church In chapter 5, verse 17, is pray without ceasing. See, the waiting church, waiting for Christ's return, is a church that waits for Christ to come while waits upon Christ in prayer. That's the two aspects of our waiting. Yes, we're waiting for Him to come back, but we're also waiting for Him here on earth. And waiting implies waiting. A persistence in prayer. You see, turn across, please, to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, of course, is the the famous parable of importunate praying, and the woman with the unjust judge. But I, I'm drawing your attention to the fact that as we wait for Christ's return, our duty is to pray without ceasing. And so there's a reference in Luke 20, Luke 18, sorry, a reference to the Lord's return. Verse 8 Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What's that all about? Of course there's going to be believers on the earth. But the point in the parable is that the belief that is shown to be genuine is the belief of God's elect, verse 6, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Though he does not immediately answer their petitions, he bears long with them. He waits to answer their petitions and he expects us to cry unto him day and night. So verse 1, the parable May not always to pray and not to faint. And so we know all this. But yet you come to the prayer closet and you pray for the same thing again and you find your faith is sorely tested, challenged. See, why does the Lord greet our prayers with silence at times? I don't know. At least I can't answer that directly for every single individual and every time. I do know one thing. Silence greets our prayers at times, but it is not the Lord's purpose to frustrate us or to infuriate us. And yet tell me that's not a battle in your heart. Why, Lord, I'm bringing this petition to you time and time again for years and years and years, and you get so frustrated? Because you know, as we'll come to see, you know He's able. You see, the Lord, in His purpose is strengthening our faith. That's certainly one of the things the Lord does as we wrestle with Him in prayer. It's true personally, and it's true ecclesiastically. As a church, we pray for these things, and the Lord strengthens our faith as we wait upon Him. Don't, don't get frustrated. And don't be embarrassed at praying the same things every time you come to the place of prayer. We go God, God because we believe that faith is a faith that pleads to God day and night. Another way the Lord strengthened their faith was He interrogates their heart. That's the issue here in the question that He asks them, believe ye that I am able to do this. You see, when the men first approach the Lord, they call on Him, As the Son of David, thou Son of David. I'm not going to go over all the ground that we covered in Luke's Gospel or even in our studies in, in the life of David. But this term, the Son of David, of course, refers to Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. And it's very important to these blind men that this man Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Remember John's disciples? Is he the one? Is he the Christ? Or should we wait for another? And the Lord gives the answer. What he say to them, he says, the blind receive their sight. One of the proofs of Jesus as the Messiah is the fact that blind men receive their sight. So for blind men who hear that a Messiah has come, they're going to say, here's our opportunity to have sight. He better be the Messiah. And they come to that conviction. He is indeed the son of David. And so they cry out to him, verse number 27, in their hope and in their desperation. Believing that he is who he says he is, son of David, have mercy on us. I think they've taken together the various parts. If you like, all the data has been interpreted, you know, like a, a human computer. Data point number one, Messiah is going to come. Number two, Messiah will give blind people sight. Number three, Jesus is Messiah. All that data goes into the mind, and what comes out? Faith. The word of God brings about faith, and the faith is then shown as they plead for the Lord, have mercy on us. But the Lord probes the nature and the reality of their faith by asking the question of their heart, verse 28, believe ye that I am able to do this. Now that's a very, very important question, obviously. And it's, reflects, I think, what you see later on in Matthew's Gospel. Turn across to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, and here when when we've looked at the issue of Christ as a type, or David as a type of Christ, we've seen this section of Scripture. The Pharisees are certainly subject to great confusion. They understand the Messiah will come, that he'll be the son of David, but they don't believe that Jesus is the son of David. And so the Lord asks a question, verse number 42, What think ye of Christ, as of what think ye of Messiah? Whose son is he? They say unto him, of David, or the son of David. And he said unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord send unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Okay, now you know the answer to that. David calls him Lord because the son of David precedes David the father. How is that possible? Only if the son of David is the very God of heaven in incarnate form. That's the Lord's point. And so when you see the reality, there were those who understood the nature of a coming Messiah. They understood the son of David was coming. But they struggled to believe that Jesus was this son of David because they would not accept that Jesus was no ordinary man. And that's what the Lord's getting at when he probes the heart of the blind man. Do you believe that I am able to give sight? Who alone can give sight to the blind? Only God can give sight to the blind. And so as these men approach the Lord, he is stretching their faith by analyzing the reality of their convictions. You see, do we believe here today that Christ is able? Do we believe that He's mighty to save? Oh, yeah, we, we may see Him as Messiah. We may even see Him as one who died on a Roman cross. But do we believe that He's able today? Do we believe That he is who he says he is. Not in the past, but now in the present. Is he able today? And I think that is how the Lord challenges our faith in the trials of prayer. We find ourselves asking that very question. The Lord himself coming, do you believe that I am able? Can I give sight to the blind? Can I make the lame walk? Can those who are dead in sin be raised to life? Can I build my church? Do I believe that Jesus is able, mighty to save? He is able. This portion of scripture came to my mind on Wednesday evening, during our prayer meeting. I was praying, closing the meeting in prayer, and I find myself, not deliberately, but just find myself time and time again as I close the prayers saying He is able. I ask myself the question, do I believe that he's able to do this, to answer these prayers? Well, Of course, the Lord in his word poses the question and also gives the answer. The answer is not left to our subjective interpretation. Yes, I think he might be. We are given clear proof in the word that he is able. That's the encouragement. Not that he might be able, but that he is able. As the eternal God, the victorious King, the successful Savior, he is able And the word of God must strengthen our hearts to that conviction that as we wrestle in prayer, we do not be defeated, but we win, we overcome by the word of God, and we believe what God says in his word. What's he able to do? Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. He is able to save all that come to Him. Hebrews chapter 7. He is able to save sinners. He makes intercession for sinners. Paul, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He is able to keep those he saves. He's able to save and to keep Hebrews chapter 2, He is able to succor them that are tempted. He is able to succor those that are tempted. Save, keep, and strengthen the battle. He's able. And He's able. He's able to do all things unto Himself. Philippians chapter 3, referring to our glorious body, He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. He will indeed overcome. And so in our prayer life, The word of God points us clearly in the direction of the ability of Christ to save sinners, we pray for that. To keep sinners, we pray for that. To sanctify saints, we pray for that. And one day to finish our salvation, we pray for that. Even so, come Lord Jesus. See, we are praying, aren't we, in light of Christ's words, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He is able to hear and answer those prayers. And so we battle. We don't know the answer to every prayer that we'll offer. But one thing we must not do as we wait in silence, waiting for the Lord to respond to our prayers, we must never doubt His ability. We must never, ever doubt His ability. And we must never doubt His heart. He is kind and gracious. He is that friend who is glad to hear our cries. Amen. May God help us to pray even for a short time this afternoon. We'll uh, give ourselves some time to pray over the affairs of the church and the kingdom. Again, please, let's seek to stir ourselves to prayer this afternoon, even for a brief season. Again, remember, of course, the needs uh, within our own church family. Remember the Sassa family. Remember our brother Montgomery, Mr. Hartz. Again, Mrs. Hamilton and the Lehigh, these are the needs within our own church family at this time. Uh, As regards to our regular bulletin, we're praying for the works in in Indianapolis and in Calgary, and also the works in Kenya and Uganda. Do keep those things in your prayers uh, going forward. But today, this afternoon, we have the opportunity, of course, to go beyond that, to pray for our impact in this area, to pray for our church fellowship, to pray for each other, God would lead us on in faith and uh, bring us to a point of a deeper walk with the Lord. And so make these matters, please, uh, your prayers at this time. Remember the work in Orlando again, of course, as our brother Logan Elder will soon go there uh, to labor in the Word. And so let's get down to prayer, please, and I'll lead off. And again, as the Lord leads, uh, we'll pray for a season, then we'll have a closing a closing hymn. Let's all pray. Eternal God and Father, we come humbly in the name of our Savior. And we thank you for the testimony of the Word of God. For those simple words, he is able. I praise you, O God, that you're able to do those things that are impossible to man. With man, salvation is impossible. With man, blind men cannot receive sight. But with God, you're able to do the impossible, to give sight to the blind and to raise the dead to life. And we understand, O Lord, and we're thankful that these things come to pass in a spiritual sense. That even now there are those who are dead in sin and all seems hopeless and lost, but you are able to raise into life. We praise you, O God, that we can come with the confidence that you're able to hear our cries and if it be your will, you're able to answer those prayers. And so we commit so many souls to your care. We ask, O God, that in mercy you'd raise the dead connected to this church. So so many, O Lord, from pew to pew, across all of our families, we have the burden of souls close to us side of Christ. O oh Lord, hear our cries today. As we wait for thy return, we wait upon thee, and we wait, O oh God, for you to answer our prayers and to raise souls to newness of life. O oh God, give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Cause the lame to walk in thy ways, and we know, O oh Lord, thou art the Messiah, the one that died for sinners See if the travel of your soul and be satisfied, Lord, today. Oh, God, hear our cries. Bless this church fellowship. We thank you for this time together just to pray and to wait upon thee. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for the time to, to pray as a congregation. Thank you for this. Bless our fellowship now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.